Fun day, huh? Oh, these are all such fun days. So I spent the whole day watching Attorney General William Barr give this testimony in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. And when it was over, I called up Slate's senior legal editor, Jeremy Stahl. What was the first clue that Attorney General Barr's testimony this week was going to be interesting? I would say the first clue came... Tuesday night when the New York Times and then the Washington Post reported that there had been this letter. This letter. The attorney general got it from Robert Mueller just a few days after he wrapped up his investigation into President Trump. But Barr, he wasn't particularly happy to get this letter. I said, Bob, what's with the letter? You know, why don't you just pick up the phone and call me if there's an issue? The letter said that the attorney general's statements to Congress and the public about Mueller's report had been misleading, that they'd resulted in public confusion that, quote unquote, undermined the special counsel's goals. You know, the letter's a bit snitty, and I think it was probably written by one of his staff people. The clear implication is that Robert Mueller thought that the way William Barr handled this from the very beginning was inappropriate and could lead the public to believe that there was political considerations that went into his ultimate conclusions. I would say that for a circumspect legal person like Robert Mueller to put on the record and put in a letter that he had concerns about how all of this was going is a very big and very serious step for a person like that to take. Yeah, I read the letter, and all I could think was, you know, Robert Mueller is a pretty careful guy. That's become very clear over the course of this investigation. This is about as close as he would come to flipping Bill Barr the bird. I won't say that Robert Mueller's flipping Barr the bird until I see him testify something to that effect. But definitely this was this was a serious, serious thing to do. Yeah, a couple months back, I was interviewing someone else about something happening at the DOJ and how it would impact Robert Mueller's investigation. And I remember this guy, he was a lawyer, saying to me, you know, what you need to pay attention to is that Bob Mueller has a voice. Bob Mueller will speak out if he thinks something is going awry. And it struck me looking at this letter that this was Mueller using his voice in a very Mueller-like way, you know, sending a letter, (laughs) documenting it. He's not holding a press conference. He's not tweeting, but he's documenting it very dutifully in this way where I was like, oh, he he now wants us to pay attention to him. Yes, I would say that it was his first foray into reminding us that he has a voice and, and specifically... By creating this record in reminding Barr, he had to know that this would eventually come out. Today on the show, Attorney General William Barr may have been the guy sitting in front of the Judiciary Committee this week, but the spotlight was also on Robert Mueller. It looks like there is this growing divide between these two men, what they consider true, what they consider false. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stay with us. 
Jeremy says that as soon as Wednesday's hearing got started, you could see there were these two familiar camps. You had one side which was viewing the witness very skeptically and was really trying to push for information and facts and uh, specifics about William Barr's legal reasoning and legal interpretation for concluding that President Trump had not committed any crime, and another side who perhaps was running a bit more interference for Barr and for the president himself. Yeah, the Democrats looked like they were sucking on lemons the whole time to me. They did appear a little bit frustrated at times, certainly. And I think one of the reasons, one of the big reasons is that Bill Barr had appeared on a different Senate Senate committee within uh, the last month or so where he was asked specifically if he was aware of news reports that members of Mueller's teams did not like his handling of the report and if he was aware of whether or not Robert Mueller agreed with his ultimate conclusions. And he answered those questions that he was not aware of those members and he was not aware of whether or not Robert Mueller agreed with his conclusions exonerating the president of obstruction of justice. And it turns out, lo and behold, he had this letter the entire time. Yeah, I mean, Patrick Leahy, Democrat from Vermont, he went into this really specifically with Bill Barr. Why did you say uh, you were not aware of concerns when weeks before your testimony, Mr. Mueller had expressed concerns to you? I mean, that's a fairly simple... Well, I answered a question, and the question was relating to unidentified members who were expressing frustration over the accuracy relating to findings. I don't know what that refers to at all. I talked directly to Bob Mueller, not members of his team. And And it was interesting to hear that exchange because Bill Barr had found this very loophole way of thinking about it, right? This is where the, the sucking on lemons and frustration comes in when you see the degree to which the Attorney General of the United States will parse the word members of Mueller's team as if members of Mueller's team didn't include Robert Mueller himself and the potential disagreement didn't include a letter he had been sent by Robert Mueller himself and a conversation he had had with Robert Mueller himself. Yeah, his argument was, well, you said members. And of course, I speak with Robert Mueller, so I didn't know which members you were referring to. Yeah, it was it was absurd. I'm I'm sucking lemons a little bit at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Some of the Democratic senators really wanted to talk to William Barr about how he decided that the president didn't obstruct this investigation, because, of course, there were many examples that were picked apart in the Mueller report, instances where the president or the president's team sort of involved themselves and wanted to shape what was happening with this investigation. And Dianne Feinstein really wanted to talk about White House lawyer Don McGahn. Why? Because one of what Mueller found was clear evidence that Don McGahn had been instructed by President Donald Trump to request Rod Rosenstein, then the deputy attorney general who was overseeing the investigation, to basically force Robert Mueller's departure from the investigation and his removal from the investigation. And McGahn refused to do this. He said the president was asking him to do crazy shit, as I recall. 
That's another really, really good quote that I'm glad you remembered. Now, today, William Barr parsed it and said, well, the president was specifically saying he never sought to have him fired. He used the word fired. That's what he was trying to refute. But Mueller doesn't buy that story. He buys Don McGahn's version of events. And and Mueller says that that's not what, what was happening. Don McGahn was refusing to have the person removed and it's essentially the same thing. So, you know, it, it's more word games, basically. I mean, at some point, Bill Barr sort of said, I think what the president's lawyers would say here is and answered in that voice. And it just seemed to me watching it, that was the voice of the whole proceeding. It seemed like that's the voice he had taken on. That was the voice that I heard as well during the entire proceeding. He was acting if not in name, in substance, as the president's defense attorney. State The evidence, I think what the president's lawyers would say, if this uh, were ever actually joined, is that the president's statements about flipping are quite clear and express. And What's the generous reading here? Like, for someone who would be a Bill Barr defender, like, what would they say about this, that he was throwing possibilities out there and, you know, being a good lawyer, kind of coming up with arguments? They would say that he was doing his job in trying to make a determination according to a very stringent legal standard of proof beyond a reasonable doubt, and that he did not see in everything that Robert Mueller laid out, all this evidence about whether or not it had a nexus to an official proceeding, whether or not there was possible corrupt intent, and whether or not it was an obstructive act. They would say that he just didn't see it, and the bar, bar, so to speak, is very, very high. Yeah. What were the Republicans doing this whole time? So there, again, there was this kind of like jujitsu that was going on, whereby there was a lot of pointing the finger the other way and saying the real issues here and the real thing that needs to be inspected and investigated here is the fact that this this investigation began in the first place. And the reason that they say that is uh, Mueller himself says the predicate for this investigation was that federal officials learned that there had been outreach to President Trump's campaign about potential incriminating information uh, the Russians may have had on Hillary Clinton, which is what started the whole thing. And Republicans saying, no, the actual predicate was this bogus Steele dossier, which has been debunked and disproven hundreds of times. And this thing never should have started and saying, essentially accusing the Obama administration of concocting the whole thing. You know, but that that all ignores the fact that the Russians did interfere in that that election and they did Hmm. so for the purpose of harming Hillary Clinton and helping Donald Trump. Right. And the the argument seems to be like, well, that did happen, but it wasn't intentional that Donald Trump sort of benefited from it. So why the heck did we investigate in the first place? Well, it seems to be that that they didn't prove it. So because they didn't prove the definitive conspiracy, then there was no point in even having the investigation, even though the Russians did interfere and even though the president's campaign was very open to benefiting from that interference. The House Judiciary Committee was supposed to be William Barr's next stop. 
He was scheduled to testify there today. But then came the news that Barr wasn't going to show up. It looks like it's got something to do with the format. Barr got to face senators for his testimony on Wednesday. But the House Judiciary Committee wanted him to be questioned by the lawyers on their staff, too. A DOJ spokesperson said this was unprecedented. Jeremy says, not really. So during the Iran-Contra investigation in the 1980s and during the Watergate hearings in the 1970s, and even during the Whitewater investigation in the 1990s, you had staff attorneys, that is, members of the congressional professional staff who were lawyers, ask a series of a very specific and factual legal questions in order to get at information, essentially, and basically conduct a proper cross-examination that doesn't allow for filibustering. It doesn't allow for grandstanding, per se, on the part of the questioner. And and these lawyers are like, they live and breathe this in a different way? They know this better than the actual members of Congress, I think it's fair to say, yes. They're the ones oftentimes writing the questions for the members of Congress. So to be able to have the question in your head, but also ask substantive, intelligent, meaningful, potentially useful follow-ups is an enormous benefit compared to the to the system that we saw on Wednesday. So it's a real investigative process. And Bill Barr objected to this. What was his reasoning for saying... I prefer not to do it like this. I think we only know what the Judiciary Committee has said about his objections. And so they're very vague at this point. I mean, the argument in favor of having the politicians do this questioning, I think, is when you look at Kamala Harris, who was a prosecutor and really did like come to dance with William Barr. She was there to get some answers. And she asked him interesting stuff. You know, did anyone at the White House suggest you investigate someone? So it's a kind of vague question, but like vague enough that it's hard for him to evade her. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Attorney General Barr, has the president or anyone at the White House ever asked or suggested that you open an investigation of anyone? Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Uh... Yes or no? Could you, could you repeat that question? I will repeat it. Yeah, yeah he kind of tried to flip it to, did anyone order me to do that? Because I don't know about suggest. What is a suggestion? I wouldn't use the word suggest. And from what we know about President Trump, just his public stances and positions and tweets on what he'd like to see investigated, maybe a suggestion was made. And that, that seemed to be a very smart question that he did not want to answer. Yeah. She also wanted to talk about Rod Rosenstein. William Barr brings up Rosenstein and says, you know, well, he sort of signed off on everything that I'm doing. And she brought up this interesting point of like, well, he's a witness in this investigation. He's part of it. Should he really be deciding with you? That you're not answering the question directly. Did the ethics officials in your office, in the Department of Justice, review the appropriateness of Rod Rosenstein being a part of making a charging decision on an investigation, which he is also a witness in. Yeah, my, so as I said, my that was another excellent point, and she was, she was basically saying, ultimately, Rosenstein should not have been involved in this decision. And it's because he was 
a key fact witness on the question of whether or not there there was a pretextual reason created for the firing of uh, Jim Comey because he wrote the pretext apparently pretextual reasoning. So the fact that Barr used him was able to use him as a shield and then got called out on it uh, was another good moment for Senator Harris. But again, it's like, well, what are you going to do about it? Is <laughs> that's basically how I've taken a lot of a lot of. Uh, these events. What are you going to do about it? (laughs) Jeremy, thank you so much for unpacking all this with me. Thank you, Mary. Jeremy Stahl is a senior editor at Slate. He's also a cat person. Okay. I'm going to shoo a cat away so there's no purring during this, first of all. This cat does not want to get out. You gotta get out, cat. Sorry. (laughs) All right, that's the show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, and produced by the amazing Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Anna Martin. This week, we have help from Samantha Lee. You, listening over there, I have a favor to ask. Go to Apple Podcasts, write us a rating, write us a review. We're looking at it, and it helps other people find us. We'd be so grateful if you did it. If you've already done it, thanks. Talk to you tomorrow. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.